Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for tuning in to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. We've got a fantastic show for you today with Alicia Bassett, and she talks about writing fast-paced, cozy mysteries. What a fun conversation this is. Be sure to check us out at storycraft.cafe. We've got some amazing live shows coming up for you next week on Monday, Live Constantine. This is going to be an amazing show. The Constantine sisters who write collectively as Liv Constantine are going to drop some serious uh, writerly knowledge on us. So go over to storycraft.cafe, watch for live events. And as always, thanks for subscribing to the podcast. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. Today, I am so excited to have Alicia Bissett with me. She's got an amazing new book, and today is release day for Murder on Mustang Beach. It's the Outer Banks Bookshop Mysteries Book 2. What a fun series. I love this. Uh, I love the new book. Um, welcome to the show, Alicia. Hank, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here, and I can't wait to talk to you. So, appreciate Excellent. you. Um. Alicia, uh, a fun question that I like to kick things off with sometimes is, um, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first memory, uh, well, it's, there's kind of two things that happened simultaneously or very close together. Um, so it's going way back when I was eight years old. And for my birthday, my parents gave me a lined journal, blank journal and a pen. And I don't really remember having written anything before that point, but my parents must have seen something because they, they gave me this gift and I took it up to my bedroom and I filled this journal up with stories and poems and diary entries. And, you know, within a few months it was filled up. Um, so that was one thing. And then shortly thereafter, I think I was probably about nine years old, um, my grandparents sold their farm. They had a dairy farm in Connecticut and they sold the property. They decided they wanted to downsize. And this saying goodbye to the land and the farmhouse seemed to resonate very strongly with the adults around me, my father and my aunts and uncles. I didn't quite fully grasp it because I was so very young, but yeah. as a sensitive kid, I knew something was going on. And uh, they had a big family reunion, like one last gathering at the farm. And so I wrote a poem to mark the occasion and I wrote it in that journal actually. And uh, I, I brought it to the gathering and I recited it in front of my family and everyone, you know, clapped politely. I don't say this to suggest that I was some sort of, you know, prodigy child yeah. poet. I'm sure it was pretty basic as far as, you know, poems by nine-year-olds go, but, um, that I had a moment during that time when I, I mean, I didn't have the vocabulary for it back then. Right. That was the moment when I knew, okay, I, I created something. I shared these words 
They seem to help the people around me make meaning out of something difficult. And it, it sparked something in me. And I said, I, I, I want to do more of this. I want to keep writing and sharing my words with the world. So, yeah. I love that you connected with the spirit of it, even if you didn't have, you hadn't had the chance to collect all the tools yet. Yes. Um, but you connected with that thing that, uh, storytelling gene um whatever it is i you know we we kind of put all these ethereal you know qualities on right this gift this this you know calling out whatever it is you know but it's so fun to to kind of connect to the roots of that yeah it was uh it again i i wouldn't have described it this way back then but looking back i can see that it was it was instinctual for sure and um, and I was lucky enough to tap into it at an early age in an environment that was very supportive. You know, my parents encouraged my writing. And later on, my aunt would lend me all of her Stephen King paperbacks when she was done with them. So um, and I think I had, I had that same aunt. That just, <laughs> right. you know, there's yeah, always the the one on the outside of the yeah. family a little bit, you know, just, you know, handing the Stephen King books to the right. kids. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I was lucky. I was lucky to to connect with that instinctual, mysterious creation gene early on. Yeah, I love it. Um, did I see in your bio that you worked as a journalist uh, for a while? Correct. Yeah. So I, um, right out of college, I worked at a not the college that I went to, but another yeah. college. I worked for the alumni magazine. And then after that, I worked for a weekly newspaper actually in my hometown. So, yeah, I have a newspaper background, much like my um, this way, much like my heroine, Callie Paget in Smile Beach Murder and Murder on Mustang Beach. So I, I've I've gotten to um, to know a number of uh, writers who also were jur- are journalists. Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever stopped become, you know, being a journalist yeah. just because you stop doing that day job, but, um, there's, I've always thought that was an interesting, um, uh, thing to add to your toolkit because, uh, and, and one way that I like to think about it is, um, you know, especially if you live in a, in a big city, um, where there might be a happening, a newsworthy event that happens, and there might be several members of the media that show up and they're all reporting on the same set of events, the same happening. Um, but all of their stories will be slightly different because they're all filtered through the eyes of the the journalist, the reporter who shows up. Um, yeah. And I've always thought that was an interesting um, set of skills to bring to uh, a, a fiction career, even though we're making up stories uh, there, ha- there have to be things that uh, that you picked up along the way that help you to see the story a little differently? Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, I'm, I'm hardly the first person to point out that journalism is good preparation for <laughs> fiction, just logistically in terms of, you know, getting used to deadlines, um, right. getting used to being able to write anywhere. I mean, if you can write in a noisy newsroom and you only have two hours until you have to turn in a story, that translates very well um, as far as discipline goes when you're getting ready to sit down and write a novel. 
Um, it, it it helps you to not hold things as too precious. Yes. The, yes. That's exactly what I was going to say. And okay. um, you can't be too precious about it. You got to bang it out. You just got to, you know, focus in on every word, make every word count and just, you know, button chair and get it done. So, yeah. and I do think it's interesting what you're talking about, about, um, you know, it's a bunch of people writing about the same event, but every story will be a little different. And, you know, I do, I do think there's, there's magic in that. I mean, there, there are plenty of, I keep doing that. <laughs> there are plenty of <laughs> mysteries um, that take place on the Outer Banks, but they're all a little different because yeah. each creator brings their own experiences and their own pasts and their own observations and personalities to the page. So yeah, yeah it's magical. Speaking of background noise and that newsroom, we, um, a, a giant thunderstorm is is hitting right now, and it's so oh. noisy. So I apologize if you get some of that bleed over. But well, I don't is, hear anything. But okay. my my parents' neighbors apparently just decided to mow their lawn. So <laughs> if you're getting any of that noise, I apologize for that. Are you? In, you're in Mississippi, is that? I right? am. Yeah, the <laughs> deep south in the spring is is crazy. We get yeah. You know, it was in the 90s yesterday, and now you know thunderstorms rolling through. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, the um, you also are a professional uh, pianist, aren't you? Yeah, it's well. I don't know about professional. I'd say strong. You have a number of recordings out. Is, is I do. I have that's four, fair to say, right? Yes, four full-length uh, albums of original compositions um, that I've put out over the, the last twenty years or so. So every. Every six years or so, I decided to put out an album. <laughs> so, a, a lot of writers, you know, have this um, uh, kind of ritual where they'll, uh, you know, put on a certain playlist, and there's certain music that that transports them to whatever mindset it is. That you know, we we a lot of people will use music to help switch gears, or you know, whatever that mechanism is. Um, yeah. But Listening to music and writing, uh, is that different than creating music? And do, do you feel like these are two different, um, you know, paint brushes in your, right. in your toolkit? The, the, the one that allows you to create this way as opposed to creating this way? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say that generally speaking, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but in general, I think writing my approach to writing is a lot more intellectual and uh, a lot more left-brained, if that could be said of me, because I don't really have a left brain. <laughs> I'm like all right brain. But I'm very organized when I when I approach my writing. I'm very much in my head. I'm a plotter, so I do a lot of outlining. There's a lot of thinking involved. When I sit down to write music, um, I, I don't have, you know, I – I don't think I could read sheet music anymore. I mean, I could at one point in my life, but I just have a tape recorder like with an actual cassette tape in there. Right. And I just play and record myself and there's no plan. It's a music for me comes from a much more uh, intuitive feel my way through kind of place. And I'm not, I'm not thinking like, okay, I just wrote this. Now I'm going to do it a little differently. It just, it just comes out of me. You know, yeah. I don't really track it in the same I, way. I, um, 
I play at uh, a number of instruments, and I'm definitely a piano hack. Um, but I, ha- I always have an acoustic guitar here beside right. me. And sometimes if I'm writing and I'm just kind of stuck, I'll pick up the guitar. And um, if I'm trying right. to to connect with a certain emotion, you know, I, I may play something in D minor, you know, if I just want to feel sad for, yeah. you know, or, you know, maybe a major key if I'm, you know, just feeling like I need to connect with a, a more soaring emotion for lack of a better word. And, and that helps me to, to switch gears. Do you, do you ever, are you ever thinking about a story and just sit at the piano and just kind of let yes. those emotions come that way? Oh yeah. M- music is powerful. And yeah. whether you're playing it or listening to it, um, it can really change your mindset. It can change what you're creating. It right. can, it can usher you into a whole new mood or a whole new way of seeing things. So yeah, I, um, if you're the type of person that has a strong relationship or a strong reaction to music, um, I would recommend using it, you know, going <laughs> to it and leaning on it and experimenting with it and seeing where it takes you. It's interesting that music can do something in three and a half minutes that might take us 80,000 words in prose to yes. to elicit the same response. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and you could argue which one is more satisfying because in 80,000 words, you can take a whole journey, um, <laughs> you know, and you know, there's obviously nuance there that, that you get to do. But but it's it's interesting how the the human emotion can play so vividly off different elements. Sure. And especially with instrumental music too. I mean, listening to instrumental music or, or creating it, there aren't any words and it, but yet words can come to you, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, I keep saying this about a lot of different things, but music is mysterious and, um, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I also recently discovered that that you live with another writer, uh, Matthew Quick. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Matthew was on our show about five years ago, and we oh, had a, okay. a a fantastic conversation. And uh, if any of you are not familiar, uh, Matthew wrote the Silver Linings Playbook and and about a, a half dozen other amazing novels. Um, wow, that was big thunder Um, yeah (laughs) did uh what is it like to have another person uh there so close with you do you do you guys ever play off each other do you bounce ideas off each other or are you the the kind of couple that you know has to have your own space and keep things very separate until it's done Oh, yeah. When it comes to actually physically, you know, the act of writing, we need to be separated. He needs to be, you know, in his office, door shut, don't talk to him. Whereas <laughs> I am, I'm all over the house. I never write in my office. I'm, you know, I sit on the porch or I sit at the kitchen table. And um, yeah, so we actually know another married couple who are both writers and they really? share an office and their desks are touching. And it's like, Oh, God, that would just, that would not work. I don't know how they do it. it so works they're axe murderers. That's what you're saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, sometimes we talk about, oh, maybe we should write a book together someday. And then we're like, 
No. No. <laughs> it wouldn't work. It would we just have completely different approaches. Like I said, I'm I'm a plotter. He's a pantser, you know, no plan. He just blank screen, blinking cursor goes. He's he intuits everything. And uh, I don't I don't think I could write like that. But we do we we talk about writing and publishing all the time, all day long. Um, and we are very supportive of each other. He's my first reader. I'm his first reader. So it's uh, it's intense, but it's Whoa. good. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So where did your love of cozy mysteries come from? Because and I'll, I'll say this, that um, I have always loved mysteries and I've always loved thriller mysteries. And over the last several years i have come to realize that i'm actually a huge cozy mystery fan and i i I don't know what it got maybe it comes from uh my mother always watching murder she wrote and you know some other things like that and and loving agatha christie and you know the but there's something um i just i connect very deeply with these type of stories doesn't mean i don't like others but i just i have a really tender spot in my heart for yeah. this genre um what what was it that that first intrigued you about this this yeah. genre i have uh, so much to say so i if i recall correctly my first cozy mystery was uh lillian jackson braun the cat who played brahms and i saw the cover in a i saw the book in a bookshop when i was in on vacation with my family in ludlow vermont And we went into a store on Main Street called Chapter 14, and there was this book, and it had bloody paw prints on the cover, and it said Brahms, and I was a music dork, and I loved cats. So I begged my mother to buy it for me, and thankfully she did. And that was the first mystery I read. That was the first cozy I read. And, I mean, you have psychic cats, like cats solving crimes. What's not to like, you know? And it it was in this small town – Pickaxe, were they in Michigan, I think? Pickaxe, Michigan? That sounds um, right. Yes, in the Great Lakes somewhere up there. And um, I just, like you said, I immediately had this affinity and a, and a soft place, soft spot in my heart for these types of books. And that led me to discover um, Agatha Christie when I was in high school, which um, – that is more, Agatha is more like the intellectual side. She doesn't get into the emotional lives of her characters. Right. And so that's where I sort of honed that, that it satisfied a different part of my, you know, reading appetite, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from there it was, you know, Mary Higgins Clark and Nevada Barr. And then I got into the more thrillery suspense kind of side of things. So, um, Cozies, you know, I love cozies because of love, I guess. I mean, these these sleuths aren't solving crimes because they're getting paid to solve crimes. They're, right. they're solving crimes because they believe it's the right thing to do. And there's there's part of them that couldn't live with themselves if they at least didn't try and poke around and um, get a little social change going on and set wrongs to right. So I find that commendable and uplifting and you know, I don't know about you, but I'll take all the uplift I can get oh. in this day and age, you know? I mean, yeah. the world is so dark and chaotic sometimes, but with cozies, it's like, 
I mean, hopefully it's no spoiler for your audience to say this, but cozies <laughs> typically have happy for now endings. So, yeah. you know, you go on this exciting adventure with these characters that you really come to know and love. And you know that at the end of the book, you know, there'll be all this danger, risk taking, but in the end, they're going to be okay. You know, the bad guys will get taken out in really satisfying ways. And the characters that you've been rooting for are going to be fine, at least until the next dead body shows up in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something, um, you know, not to say that coaches are formulaic, but um, there's well, every there's genre form is formulaic. You, sure. And, yeah. and you, there's a dependability there that I personally really love about cozies and they're cozy. I mean, right. right. <laughs> well, um, happy for now that are HFN uh, yeah. and uh, the, the other side of that, the happily ever after or HEA are a lot of, they're, they're terms that we use in, in romance uh, a lot, but I think you're absolutely right um, that it's absolutely appropriate to talk in those types of terms about cozy mysteries, a lot of times there is a romantic element um, to cozies, yeah. although they're not tradition traditionally romance. Right. Some of those nuances are, are just kind of weird, you know. Some some of the genre specific stuff really has more to do with where you shelve it in the bookstore, sure, more than what the the book is actually about. So you know, we could quibble about that stuff all day long, but. Yeah. Um, but the the happy for now, especially if you're writing a series, they all kind of have to end that way, don't they? Um, you know, we've got a character. We're going to put her through the ringer. Yeah. We're going to allow her to, you know, let her big brain shine and, you know, get through trouble. Right. And and we need things to be okay at the end of this. But if it's a series, we know they're not going to stay that way necessarily. Yeah. Um, what, what are... Uh, Talk about writing a series and thinking uh, about, um, you know, how to keep putting um, your character in in jeopardy slash danger or yeah. plop a dead body in front of them. Right. You know, <laughs> maybe she's not specifically in danger, but these bodies keep stacking up around them. Um, you know, how do you start thinking when you have an established character and an established world and Right. established group of characters that you're drawing upon. How do you keep dreaming up ways to, um, you know, make their lives miserable? Right. Well, they need something to do. So right. Every book needs conflict. Um, I received a piece of advice last year from another cozy author by the name of Jen McKinley. She might, she writes romance as well. She's great. Yeah. Love her books. And she said to me, you know, Keep in mind that there are many life events and you can spread them out over 10 or 15 books. So don't have them like married with kids in book two, like spread it out. <laughs> so I'm keeping that in mind. I can't say too much about that because I'm only two books deep. Hopefully there will be many more, but you have to start thinking in terms of, you know, when you write a book, you think in terms of character arc through one book. And when you're in a series, you simply expand that to, you know, how, how do these characters arc over several books and what journey do I want to take them on? So you just kind of widen the lens a little bit and think in terms of 
life events and, you know, their own life events and how their own pasts will inform their present and inform their future. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So book two, um, Murder on Mustang Beach was a lot, I don't want to say a lot easier, but it was easier in terms of um, I had the world already built. I knew my characters. I knew which ones were going to show up again. And I knew where I wanted to take them. And so it was just a matter of sitting down and doing it, (laughs) banging it out for 80,000 words. Tell me about the character of Callie Padgett. Where, where did, did she come from? I liked the idea of giving Callie some sort of trauma, you know, lowercase T trauma in her, in her young life. Um, nothing too intense because it is a cozy, but I liked the idea of, of, you know, this, this current mystery in her life now pulling her along and giving her an opportunity to heal some wounds from her past that she never really confronted. So that's what was going through my mind when I sat down to create Callie. Um, she's not me, but you know, we have a lot in common, journalism background, um, health nut. She drinks a a green kale smoothie every day, as do I. (laughs) Um, She likes to run, as do I. Um, She's turned on by by nature and her environment. Um, She's loyal. Um, But I think sometimes that loyalty can blind her to um, people in her life that maybe she can't trust and maybe she shouldn't be trusting. So, um, yeah, she's, she's figuring it out. She's younger than I am, um, 10 years younger. So she's a little bit, you know, she's, she's approaching 40 and, uh, there's a big age for me and it's a big age for a lot of people. So, um, that's where she is in her life. So I really love Callie. I love it. Um, what was the what was the the idea behind setting it in the uh, the Outer Banks? Well, I I've lived on the Outer Banks for nine years now, and uh, and I'm originally from Massachusetts, but it's a uh, it's an interesting place. I don't know, have you ever been? I I've only kind of driven through. I've not yeah. gotten to stay a long time, but but yeah, I'm yeah. I'm vaguely familiar. So. For those who aren't aware, the Outer Banks are a skinny strip of uh, barrier islands off the coast right. of North Carolina, and it, you're surrounded by water. So you've got the Atlantic on one side and the, the sounds and the estuaries on the other. And We have the same thing in, in off the coast of Mississippi. We've got a string oh. of barrier islands. And, oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, oh, wow. they're, they're not as big as yours, yeah. but we do have a, a string of them, yeah. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so... When I moved, when I first moved down there, I observed this um, this attitude and this way of life that was different from what I was used to being a New Englander, um, but but yet relatable. So there's this expression that the old timers say on the Outer Banks. They, they say it about themselves, and I just think it's so great. They say the nuts roll to the edge. So. The edge, of course, is the the physical geography of the Outer Banks. Right. And the nuts are the people who live there. And, you know, when you live on a sandbar, you're, I mean, you know, the nuts roll to the edge. There's a certain daring do attitude and there's a certain uh, 
individuality. You know, they're, they're strong of being, they're, they're proud of their independence. And yet um, they understand that in order to survive, you need to stick together. So it's like they're independent there, but they value community and togetherness. And so that is really what I was inspired by the most when I, when I sat down to write this series, I said, you know, I, I, I love how beautiful it is there and I want to capture the natural environment, but I also want to do right by the people and capture that nuts roll to the edge mentality because um, it's, it's special and it's not like any other place in the world that I've ever been. So. Love it. And, and that uh, now that you've said that I'm look, I'm kind of running through your cast of characters and, and, I totally understand where, where that came from. I love it so much. Um, one of my favorite things uh, about mysteries and, and uh, these types of books, especially is a, a sleuth who is a writer or um, has a bookshop. And yeah. there, there's, there's books about writers or books about books um, are some of the most inside baseball and, and I love it so much. It's it's one of the most fun things. Um, was it just your history with journalism and your love of books? Is that why you chose this type of yeah. uh, of world for her, or you know, kind of what what was the the impetus for that? The first draft of this book, um, there was no. There was no bookshop. There was no Mother Vine bookshop. Uh, Callie was simply a journalist and that was it. And fortunately, an early reader recommended to me, hey, why don't you stick her in a bookshop and see what happens? And I said, okay. And I tried it. And as soon as I put the bookshop in there, it seemed to open up this whole new dimension of her personality where I could explore the books that meant something to her in her development as a person. So I, you know, I mentioned Lillian Jackson Braun and I mentioned um, Mary Higgins Clark. Of course, Mary Higgins Clark did not write cozy mysteries, <laughs> um, but I think that Callie finds something in Mary Higgins Clark's heroines that, um, that she draws on, you know, a certain strength and independence and, uh, um, bravery in the face of, you know, peril (laughs) and isolation. Um, And so I didn't initially intend for the series to become, to be a bookshop series. And I didn't intend for it to become, especially Smile Beach Murder is this real, you know, sort of PN to crime fiction. Um, That wasn't my initial intention, but I'm really glad that it ended up going in that direction. Readers really seem to enjoy that. They, they love being in a bookshop. So, and so do I. So. I love it. Um, well, uh, today is release day for you and um, for murder on Mustang beach. And so I, I know our, our time here is about up, but if you were pitching this series um, to a new reader who is not familiar with it at all, um, what is, what's your sort of elevator pitch, uh, to get them to read your book? Oh, geez. I, I should rehearse an elevator pitch. <laughs> I would say, uh, that if you like a faster paced, uh, mystery, murder mystery, where you're in a small town 
and there's quirky offbeat characters and uh, you're turning the pages, you know, short chapters, lots of intrigue, um, then this series is for you. Of course, there's a bookshop. There's a bookshop cat who is everyone's favorite character is Tin Man and uh, who may or may not be a little psychic, but um, it's a fun read. It's a beach read. You know, it's it's light, um, but there are serious happenings and big consequences for the people involved. So I hope you will check it out. That would be my elevator pitch. I love it. We're going to put links to it in the show notes to make it easy for folks to uh, to find it. Uh, Kindle edition, hardcover, audiobook. Have you gotten to listen to the audiobook yet or hear any of the yeah. samples? Yeah, the um, the narrator, the voice actor is named Carissa Vacker, and she does an absolutely perfect job. I, lo- I love her voice. So That's amazing. I read uh, an ARC review copy, um, and now that it's released, day, the audio is available, so I'm going to go grab the audio and get to experience awesome. the book all over again like that. Uh, Murder on Mustang Beach, available everywhere now. Uh, Alicia, if folks are just discovering you, want to dig into all the great stuff that you do and follow along from here out where's the best place to find you online uh i hang out on instagram a lot so it's alicia Bissett books it's also linked to facebook same place alicia Bissett books um i'm not i'm not on facebook quite as much but i would say start there and my website is aliciabissett.com Excellent. We'll link that up as well to make it easy for folks to find you. Alicia, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Happy release day. Oh, thank you so much. This is a lot of fun, Hank. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening. Thanks.